up guys? This week is a interview week. I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing the one and only Travis Sylvester from Sylvester Customs in California. Um, Travis is a wealth of knowledge and a super hard worker. He's currently working two jobs to get the custom shop going and with two kids at home this shows his passion and dedication for the industry. I had a blast chatting to Travis. I could sit there listening to him chat all day long, sharing his knowledge and uh, Let's call this part one because I'm sure we'll happen back in the near future. It took us a couple of attempts to get going, but uh, we got there in the end and uh, hope you guys enjoy it. There you go. Yeah, can you hear me? Have I got you there? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, man. Right on. It worked. Yeah, hey. <laughs> You there, man? Can you hear me? Yeah. It's my service. I might have walk. to. I don't know if it's your line or my line. I might. It's all right. Welcome to the Restoration and Finishing Podcast. I got first guest on the show. Pretty honored to have someone of this caliper on. We got Travis Sylvester. Welcome, man. How are you? Good, man. I appreciate the. Uh... To want to have me on. I've uh, this is my first podcast, never done one. So your first podcast, me learning how to podcast. This is about take number three or four because we can't get it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get it. Oh, well. Um. So yeah, we were talking before. Um. I sent you a message which was like three a.m. in the morning your time, and and you and I didn't expect to get a reply, but you shoot me a message straight back. Do you want to tell us what, what's going on, man? Yeah, so uh, basically the long and the short of it is I work two jobs. So during the day, I work in my shop, which is located on my property at home. I have a 2,000-square-foot building that we do full restorations and body paint, that sort of thing. And then at night, I actually work for the railroads as an electrical engineer, so we do all the traffic signals and stuff like that for railroads. So I'm – constantly on the go constantly working trying to bridge the gap call it that and uh, eventually be able to do this full time in the restoration world yeah that that sounds tough that sounds like a lot of hours yeah especially with two little ones <laughs> i don't envy that i've got three little yeah. ones as well so i couldn't imagine trying to do what you're doing so uh kudos to you oh <laughs> uh, thanks yeah, it's, so, uh, it's rewarding, want, but it'll be worth it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the industry and, and, and your backstory? Sure. My backstory is a little odd, but uh, basically I started painting when I was about 11 years old. So I picked up an airbrush and used to paint my uh, Little League baseball helmets, actually, when I was like 11 or 12 years old, so... And it started with, you know, model cars and stuff like that. My dad, he was a mechanic. He still is a mechanic. He's been a mechanic all my life. And he's always been more of the mechanical side of things. And I've always been in the fabrication and cosmetic side of things. So between, between the two of us, we usually uh, are able to get it done. But ultimately, I mean, I started just like anybody would in a garage or in an office, just playing with model cars as a kid growing up and, you know, as it grew um, with the airbrushing, I used to always put 
everybody that knows me for a long time knows I used to put flames on every car, every, everything. I used to do gardening for all the neighbors' houses as a kid. And I was the only one in the neighborhood that had a riding lawnmower with flames from front to back. <laughs> so when you yeah, talk, crap, flame, you talking, did you get into the true fire or are you talking just like old school hot rod flames? Um, actually started with just traditional hot rod flames. However, you know, that kind of grew. Um, let's see, I, I got my driver's license and then went down to the local paint shop, which I had actually been going to this paint shop previous to having a driver's license. And there was a guy, I don't know if you know the artist, uh, guy was named Mickey Harris. He's a world renowned airbrush artist. And I took a class with him and I just remember being so fired up over that class and learning these techniques, knowing I've always been kind of the person that watches something, whether it be nowadays on YouTube or on TV before. And, and once I see it, I, I, not to be cocky by any means, but I usually pick up things pretty quickly and I kind of jump in head first. Well, yeah. that night I, I came home, I ripped the tailgate off my truck and I went into my dad's garage and just started masking and airbrushing and doing all stuff. And they never even saw me come in that night. So, I mean, you could say some people have their choice drugs or whatever. For me, painting has always been kind of a drug. I've Cars, painting, automotive, anything, anything with a motor, I've always been super addicted to it. I, my dad for years used to tell me, do not get into the automotive industry. There's no money in it. And so I listened to him. I went you know, the other route I had, I've done everything from, you know, cabinetry work to drywall to construction. I used to build um, a lot of off-road cars for a company here in Southern California uh, called California Sand Sports. They used to build like a Tatum car. It's, it's a sand rail, but they're very high performance sand cars. So I kind of did that. And then uh, I've worked for Suzuki's uh, motocross team. I've had a lot of very, very different jobs, but out of all the things that I've done and then being in the railroad for the last 15 years, um, it's kind of always been this thing that no matter what direction I go, I always end up back at cars and always end up back at paint. So it's just yeah. const constantly uh, been a growth, which I think, you know, being the hobby guy working out of a track home in a three car garage uh, back when I met my wife, I've, I've always done cars for customers, but I used to only do like, you know, a car or two a year here and there as a hobby just to kind of excel my skills. But ultimately to fast forward, um, I met my wife and she, she bought a house actually down the street from me back at the time when I was doing a couple restorations on cars. And so I sold my house. And I actually, it was close enough that I was actually pushing the customer cars uh, down the street to her house. So then I continued doing cars at her house. And then we flipped my house, flipped her house, you know, fixed them up. And then we, we actually lived out of my motorhome for uh, about six months until we found the place that we're actually in right now, which we've been here coming up on six years. And the first car I actually did in the shop that we're in today was uh, was a 55 Chevy for a buddy of mine uh, named Scott. And he, he kind of took me by surprise because, you know, you, you listen to your parents sometimes when they tell you, don't get into this industry, you know, there's no money in it, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's a hard work, owning your own business. And I used to just 
kind of hang that over my head. Well, you know, I, I was doing cars for other people and then I'd go to work for the railroads. Well, one night we were talking late on the phone and he keeps telling me, you know, Hey, you need to go and spend time with your family and your wife. And, uh, I was like, yeah, you know, we, we schedule our time and by all means I have one amazing wife that is super understanding. You talk about somebody who supports me 110%, which I probably wouldn't be where I am today without her and her support. But ultimately this guy with the 55 that I'm referring to, he, he's on the phone and he says, what's the reason you don't do this for a living? I said, well, you know, my dad said there's no money in automotive industry. So I've always gone to other jobs. And he says, well, what's the reason you don't do it? And I said, well, you know, he says it's a lot of work, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, what time is it right now? And I said, that's about 11 o'clock at night. And he goes, okay, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm out here working on your car. And he goes, and what time you got to be up in the morning for work? And at the time, I think it was like four or 5 a.m. And he goes, so how many hours do you work a day? And I said, well, I don't know, anywhere from 14, 16 hour days, sometimes more. And he goes, do you think owning your own business is any more work than that? And to be completely honest, I had never looked at it that way. That was like one of those turning points, I feel like for what my passion has been fueled by was that conversation where he made it kind of click, you know, you, you constantly yeah, so run from those things because of other reasons. Go ahead. Sometimes it takes someone on the outside looking in to, to open your eyes to something like that. 100%. So, you know, I, I, he, he was real big and he actually owns an automotive alignment shop. And I go there often. We talk often. And, um, you know, he, he sees how this has grown over the few years. And uh, anyways, I just keep kind of pushing. So ever since then, it clicked. It kind of fueled a fire. I started doing more and more cars. Uh, the, the big platforms that we tend to go on nowadays is we do, we're probably most active on Instagram, which is Sylvester's Customs for anybody who doesn't uh, know or wants to check it out. And, um, and then we have a YouTube channel also now that we're working on, which has been picking up speed. So it's kind of cool, but it's just been amazing to me the amount of support friends that I've made over the years through the automotive industry. And, kind of how this took a turn was, you know, we, like I said, we would do a car here and there. Well, um, a friend of mine who builds race motors, uh, Robert Maruzzi or Maruzzi race motors, he, he was doing motors for a guy by the name of Rob of RJ fabrication, which he's also on Instagram as RJ, RJ fabrication. Um, and so he says, uh, I guess they were having a conversation one day and he goes, yeah, my, my painter's kind of looking to, I guess, retire, or he's not looking to do older restoration cars projects anymore. Do you know any painters? And he goes, well, I don't really know him that well, but you know, there's this guy that I follow and, and he's had a motor built here recently that, you know, you gotta, he paints, you ought to check him out. And honestly, I did not think this was going to go anywhere. Well, the long and the short was I'm actually in the middle of building a truck myself. It's an off-road Baja type style truck. And uh, I actually had my truck, this is to rewind back, I had taken it to Rob at RJ Fab, and I had, I had went there with no intentions of ever doing work for him. I just took it to him because I knew he was one of the best that I had followed in, you know, my industry for off-road. Well, uh, so one day he approached me and says, hey, you know, 
I was talking to Maruzi Race Motors. Says you paint. You know, would you be interested in doing some some cars for us and try it out? And I thought, damn, that was like the biggest opportunity. You know, to me, looking out at that time, we weren't doing. You know, we hadn't been in any magazines. We hadn't done in any work. And even now, to me, right now, we're still starting out. And it's been one hell of a road since we started, which was about May of 2019 is where we really, I feel like picked up some steam and started kicking off with some of these builds. So um, anyways, yeah, Rob, Rob gave me a couple projects right out of the gate to do. And uh, so at the time to fast forward and give you kind of a, a description of what my shop was at that time was it was just a 2000 square foot building, 50 by 40. And there was no paint booth. There was nothing. I literally had one toolbox in my shop and it was my own. And that, it was just me. It was no employees, no nothing. And like I said, that was just over two years ago that that was the case. And so, you know, I, I took it seriously. And at that time I got a loan and I said, well, I need to get a paint booth because I'm where I'm located. There's a lot of dairies and in the summertime, you get a lot of the gnats and bugs and, I've always, I feel like in my eyes, I always look back and I go, man, I used to paint cars like out in my dad's dirt in the garage. And I, you know, our paint jobs came out pretty decent for at the time. But the first project that he gave me was actually a white Ford Ranger that was a custom built truck. It's actually, ironically, it's actually in my shop right now. Uh, so it's kind of cool that this is being talked about because I had to rewind and it's been through the process of being built it's been at wiring for quite some time and anyways it's just now making its way back but to kind of fast forward i bought this booth with a loan that i got and at that time this guy shows up that i was going to buy this paint booth from and he shows up suit tie and everything and he comes in takes all the measurements to the shop i pulled the trigger i gave him a, a pretty good check and then the long story short is this guy actually took fifteen thousand dollars from me and actually ran with it. He never returned my call. He, he ghosted me. So here I'm making this payment, trying to make a business and get this off the ground. I've already committed and got the job. And now I'm out $15,000 right out of the gate. So that was kind of how we started out with that. Um, and so I had to actually invest in the little bit of money that I had left to get a, a tilt trailer because all the cars that Rob have for restoration work, none of them have motors. They're not driving, they're on caster wheels, they're on a dolly. And so I had to be able to move them around and be able to rent a booth. So I actually met a guy through a neighbor of mine uh, who's we're good friends now, Dalton at Hillview Customs. Um, he loaned me his booth for these couple jobs that we had gotten. And that was how we were able to get through those projects at that time and continue to move forward. But yeah, we had some very, painful growing pains in the very beginning and and like anybody who's been in the restoration industry I think you learn some hard lessons really quick you know like estimating and all those things the do's the don'ts giving giving prices to customers when you truly don't know what it's going to cost to do you know yeah that's a big thing is um is people want to they want a price on something and, and there's guys out there that'll that can supposedly give a price but in, in my opinion I, I don't 
I think you could potentially price refinishing, but I, I definitely don't think you can price panel work. Yep. Yep. I agree. It's people. The problem is in my eyes is that people watch these TV shows and, you know, it, it, the funny number that I mean, my wife always joke about is it seems like every show you watch, every car they build, everything's always $15,000. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Oh yeah, yeah. We can do the whole car, interior, paint, everything, $15,000. And I'm thinking, this is the problem because people think that that's actually doable, you know? Yeah. I was talking about and this with boss on Friday and we were talking and, I, and I'd be quite keen to do it. I actually want to do a podcast on this, the breakdown of your cost of your build. Like, I, I want to get a quote from your local paint distributor, and I can guarantee that it'll be four or $5,000 just in material outlays alone. Oh, yeah, easily. Easily. Yeah, I think on average we, and this was before COVID, our average price on materials just for primer, uh base and clear you were somewhere in the $3,500 range, you know? Yeah. And that wasn't doing any fabrication, no nothing. So I think one of the biggest hurdles there was, you know, you, you go into this industry with whatever your knowledge may be of the spectrum of uh, your caliber. Right. And you go into what you think, you know, and then you produce it. And the problem that we had was at the time when I started, it was just me. So, I would quote these cars for what I was working at, what rate I would work. And then you had the growing pain of your, you get employees and then they work at a different rate. They do things differently than you do them. And to get everybody on the same page was quite the challenge. So it was constantly teaching my guys because it's kind of cool where uh, one of my guys, uh, Mike, who actually does all the YouTube stuff for us. Uh, if you guys don't follow him, blown grit is his Instagram name, but Mike has been instrumental with all of the YouTube stuff for us because he came here and, you know, he was kind of in between jobs and he was looking for something different. And so I, he didn't do anything with cars prior to here. So it was really cool to be able to teach somebody everything that he does here and then the first car that he gets out of the gate ends up being a really nice 69 uh, Camaro show car, you know? So I told him, I said, I know this is a lot of work and it's a lot of grunting and, and, and physical stuff, but trust me when you get it done and you step back and you look at that, you will have a different appreciation and sure enough, it bit him, you know? So yeah, definitely. It's just a con continual growth. And it's one of those things like uh, my dad, he owns a uh, engineering business and uh -huh. He finds it very difficult to, when you talk about employing someone, that he would rather an apprentice because they're not coming with bad habits. They're, you can yep. sculpt them. So if you get someone who's not in the industry and you're willing to spend the time with them, you can sculpt them to how you want things done rather than bringing on someone that's going to do things the way that they think they it should be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in the beginning when you're trying to, uh, create an income you always are trying to sell yourself and I always tell people once you reach a certain point and by any means I'm I'm learning as we go even today I feel like it's not going to stop and if you think that you know everything you've already lost the battle you're constantly yes. if you know everything evolving if you know everything you're up because um I, I think <laughs> 
once you yeah, once you you think you know everything, I think you become into that that grumpy old um, tradesman in the corner that hates his life. Like <laughs> <laughs> exactly, keep yeah, being open, keep learning. It's crazy. I mean, so the the other problem was, you know, you would give somebody a quote and tell them that, you know, we can't get your car in here for, call it six months. Well, if you're learning at an accelerated rate and you're truly passionate and invested in what you're doing, by the time you get six months down the road, and, and I'm being completely transparent that in that two years that we've done cars, I would, I look back, we're finishing a 69 Bronco currently. And I look at this car and there's a lot of things about it that just drive me nuts. And it's because three years ago, we weren't doing, we weren't welding the edges of doors together and gapping all the panels and forming new patch panels. You know, we were cutting out cancer and welding in flatter areas and curves. And it was just a constant battle. But I, I sit back now and, and it makes you really, truly uh, self-reflect and realize how far you've come in such a short time. I mean, and ultimately what I've learned is continue all of your education from the people that you feel are on the level that you want to be. You know, you don't want to be obviously taking advice from people who claim to be the, the expert, but who are truly doing it, you know? And so I took, God, I took so many classes this year, just this year, you know, between uh, everything from, metal shaping to uh god i'm trying to remember we've we've done art classes sorry guys we lost connection at this point but here we go back into it yeah i don't know where um, we left off you'd have to update me yeah so <laughs> you on a good one <laughs> you were you were at art classes you've done a lot of classes this year yeah so i mean uh, when it comes to the classes we, we've taken, I can't even tell you how many classes this year, but I've been pushing really hard for uh, metal shaping, coach smithing, and fitment, you know, fit and finish. In the end of the day, we would have tons of struggles with excessive body filler, and that's always a challenge. And you have so many projects that every project, there's never two that are the same, you know, and you're always trying to figure out how to move metal and and manipulate it, remake patch panels that you can't buy. And I took a, a metal shaping class from a guy named Jake, which is the Flying Dutchman. And then I took a metal finishing class that was like a four-day class. I took vacation from my normal job to go and attend these classes. And uh, just further, you know, I'd go take a class and I'd come back and then I'd teach my guys, hey, here's how we do X, Y, and Z. And, and it's just been a constant growth. And then you got uh, the other guy, Carrie. Carrie comes from like industrial type trucks and he used to do helicopters out of Alaska doing all the paint on those and stuff. So he has a, he had a good background, but there were, like you said, a lot of habits that you have to train. And unless that person's completely open on changing their methods and processes, he's going to continually go back to those things. So you have to keep proving why, why it's a better way and, he's come leaps and bounds in a year, year and a half. It, it's been pretty cool to watch him grow. So, yeah, that's awesome. You're, and you're, we, you're fortunate, obviously, in, in the United States where you can you have those courses available. Where, where I am, we're in Western Australia. We're quite isolated. We There's not many courses that you can actually take. I've, I've taken one here with a guy named Clive, the Hammerworks. He does a metal shaping course, but 
bar him, not many people are, are, are offering courses and and willing to to uh, pass on their skill set. I guess you want to call it. Yeah, and and it's cool. Like through social media, I mean, that's one of the cool things about it is, I've I've always, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts as well, like uh, Andy Frazella, if you've ever heard of him, um, and all these different people who are constant. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, business is business, and it's all pretty much the same on how you run it, and it's everything you put in is what you're going to get out. So. I mean, constant education on all the stuff, but having social media platforms to be able to teach that and drive people to come to your class. I mean, we did, I don't know how many classes this last year, which was really cool because, you know, I'd open up my, my house and serve lunch for a couple of days and we would go through and just solve all kinds of questions and talk about the processes that we do on these restorations because the majority of people come from the collision industry and the collision industry is completely different than the restoration industry. <laughs> that was my last podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I actually listened to it. I, I subscribed to your, uh, your channel. So it, it's, it, it is amazing how different it is. I mean, people, the big thing is uh, how much time you spend in fit and finish. I mean, in the last six months, we have cars that we did six months ago that I'm already nitpicking because we just keep changing and evolving so to go back to what we were talking about with giving a customer an estimate i mean and then you learn so much and call it six months when you're truly invested in yourself you grow at at such a fast rate that everything you do is different so here i'm quoting cars to you know set up panel gaps just by adjustments and then do body and paint and that was it well then we start trimming and cutting and metal shaping and getting everything to fit perfect. And then the problem was when you have your, your standard that you don't want to dip below, right? Because if you do something good, somebody might tell three people and you do something bad, they might tell 30 people. So you always got to keep your standard up and you're only as good as your last job. So having everybody feel 100% comfortable with the project and what they're getting at the end of the day has been such a good thing for us. That's kind of why I really dig uh, having Instagram and, and YouTube to be able to put that information out there. And it's been cool because a lot of the people that I even look up to, uh, you know, Paddock Paintworks and uh, actually one of the guys is in Australia, um, Blacklist. You follow him? Yeah. 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 I mean, those guys do such, such good work and very few people put it out there on how to do these things. But I feel like our industry is really lacking with the amount of young people that want to do this. And I don't know that it's maybe that they don't want to do it or it takes a certain kind of person that wants to do this and understand that you don't have to be a doctor to make good money. You could do, you know, body shop, you know, you think about the typical body shop and you wouldn't think that there's some money there, but I mean, if you're truly doing show car type stuff and you're keeping your quality up, there's, there's a good market there. So yeah. I never thought there was, it was there like it is. And we have and we've really seen a certain type of person. Like, uh, do you follow, have you seen some of the stuff from the gunman? Yep. Yep. I yeah, so he, he took a, he took a job at a prestige shop and, and you watch, um, his YouTube videos and, and the evolution of him working at that shop. And he was getting frustrated that they were spending so much time flatting and polishing 
uh, Aston Martin or something that he was working on. It's like, dude, there's that's part of the process. Like, um, you either want to do that or you don't. Like, you can go fix Twitter crawlers if you want. Like, it's a different ball game altogether. Completely. Yeah, you're not just denibbing. You're, you know, spending God, a whole week worth of, you know, 50, 60, 100 hours just sanding and polishing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the sky's the limit. So I, I think with that and learning those growing pains, um, we're actually getting the last project out that was one of those jobs. And that's that Ranger that I, I talked about. It, it is the last job that we have here where I felt like, I just, I didn't know what direction I was going with it. And now we have a pretty clear direction on what we want to do. And with investing in the tools, the planishing hammers, the English wheels, the TIG welder and the MIG welder, and just pushing every day to try to do a better and better car. To me right now, we're just getting started. There's so many good opportunities that are coming this year. We're actually going to enter uh, this year in battle of the builders at SEMA, which, um, this last past year, the red F 100 that we did actually went to SEMA and it wasn't even supposed to go. And I just, you know, it was really cool to see the responses from people that that truck has gotten. And now the customer won't even drive it off road because it's too nice. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if I, I cool. find that happens quite often. It'll come in for a, for a paint job. No, no, I, I'm going to drive it. It's a weekend driver. And then, and then it ends up looking too nice and, and it snowballs and the next minute it's a show car. And it's funny how when you first start in business, you're always trying to be the salesman and sell yourself. And then I feel like when you, when you make that turning point, the customer comes to you and you're almost interviewing them on, do I really want to deal with this customer? Because, (laughs) you know, you get so tired of being beat up by people who, well, how much can you do for this? And and how much more is that going to cost? And all of these things and factors that come into play and, and truly you can't estimate it. Every car is different. You know, all you can really do is give somebody a starting point. Here is what our average is. And we're talking about anything from a Carmen Ghia to a freaking 61 Cadillac. You know what I mean? And I don't know what your car is going to take until we get it down to metal. And even then, I tell people a starting price. Here is what our projects typically start at. And depending on how screwed up your car is and how picky you want to be is what will depict that price. Yeah, and right. if it's not, if and if it's a bare metal price, there's not even a dollar spoken about until it's in metal. Hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. I mean, All right. So you briefly talked about your shop. You've got some employees. Yeah. So we have uh, Mike, who does, uh, who runs Blown Grit on Instagram. He, uh, like I was saying, I taught him. I don't know if that was where it cut out or not, but I taught him everything he knows when it comes to body and paint and all that stuff. And he's just really, really accelerated. And then I have Carrie who comes from uh, like more of an industrial side and he used to do helicopters and stuff like that. And it's just completely different world. So having those two guys now, Mike's been with me uh, just over two years and Carrie's been with me just over a year. I think he's coming up like on a year and a half or so with me, but I am I am truly very fortunate to have those two guys because they really hold down the fort when I'm stuck at work and I'm still trying to take a nap in the morning. And, you know, I just, I just got to make sure we have a good game plan every week, but we're really thankful right now. Communications 
essential. Like I've, I've worked in a couple of shops and, and the shop that I'm at right now, we, every morning we sit down and we, we drink coffee together or we just talk about, we're all on the same page. We know what we're doing for the day. We know what your uh, co-workers doing for the day. And yeah, you're all on the same page about what, what's going on. Yep. Have a whiteboard, write it down, have a schedule. Uh, anybody that's getting into this industry that wants to do it on their own. I think the, the number one thing that we've done in the last two years is honestly buy QuickBooks Be, and track everything, your materials, your labor, how long it took you to do metal work, how long it took you to do body work, track everything. Cause what you can at least do with QuickBooks is at the end of the job, you know, what that car took in all the stages from beginning to end, material costs, everything. And that'll help you all your profit your estimate on your next job. What's that? And that that should help you with your estimating as well for your future jobs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean it's it's made the confidence because the problem is if you're just doing a car here and there like I was, you don't truly know what those costs are because you know, you, you know, well, I did a few hours here and a few of these materials made it in and I never charged them. And next thing you know, you didn't make any money on it. I remember 10 years ago, we were doing an entire car for $2,500. <laughs> and I don't, I look back at that now and I know the prices has gone through the roof on things, but still you're talking about 10 years and you're going from $2,500 to 30,000 plus it just yeah. blows my mind and and on that we've, we've got customers where we've they've received a quote and and they're not ready to go and say five years down three five years down the track they're like they want to pull the trigger but you got to uh re-quote the job basically of the paint materials are gone through the everything's gone gone up yep yep so you yeah, run training courses as well is that correct yeah, so we're doing uh, – I enjoy teaching. Anybody who knows me on Instagram knows that I'm constantly trying to put out little tips and tricks. I actually made a video today that I'm going to post after I get off the phone with you and kind of dive deep into talking about sealing and what primers you use and why and over bare metal. So, yeah, we, we started doing a class here and there. Um, it's a little more difficult this year because now I have another – Kid number two came this year, and uh, that was the game changer, boy. Kid number two is no longer uh, all hold. My wife can't hold down the fort with both of them throughout the weekend, so I have to be very choosy and find somebody to help out while I can teach these classes. But, yeah, we teach everything from, you know, how you make a patch panel to gap a car to how you set up panels and make sure they get back in the same spot. And basically everything that you're going to need to know if you were to buy an old car and have it ready for paint. Do you find that those classes are people in the industry or are you getting a lot of hobbyists or who's attending these classes? Um, both. I would say a pretty good mix of both. I get a lot of everything from guys in their seventies who have a car they want to start messing with to I've had guys as far as Georgia that I, I, I mean, I'm honored to, that they think I'm of that caliber, which is great to teach them, which, and I guess I'm kind of a lifeline sometimes when a problem occurs, which I think is totally cool. And I'm all for that because I enjoy teaching this ultimately. And 
what comes around goes around truth truthfully you know so but yeah we we talk we talk very in depth and usually even though the class is only supposed to be eight hours or so saturday and sunday we tend to go way into the rabbit hole and depending on the people that are attending the class how many questions they have i'll go down whatever rabbit hole that they have of problems so we kind of talk about everything and and i think to dial back from that what makes somebody well-rounded is somebody who used to do paint jobs in an environment that was not ideal you know i mean i used to paint cars outside I used to paint them out in the dirt, wet the dirt at my dad's house and paint cars. And you learn a lot of things of what to do, what not to do. And you'll never forget those, those hard lessons. And that's kind of what I try to really drive home in our classes. And, and I think everybody, as you learn, you're only going, I might give you 20 things in a day that you learn, but you're really only going to receive in your head maybe one or two of those things but sometimes those two things might be the difference between you kicking your ass every day at some thing that you're uh battling versus you know and it's worth it for for a cheap price to come in for a weekend and the cool thing is i am getting a lot of younger guys that want to learn it and have a lot of interest so to me that's, that's pretty cool. cool i feel like it's kind of coming back around that's real cool um my big thing is is try to learn one thing from everybody. There's something that that the worst painter in the world, <laughs> there's something that he does that you can pick up on, whether it be big or small, that you can learn from that person. Absolutely. As I get older, I realize that everything that we do, it doesn't matter if it's in your shop or in your life. Uh, it's all the little things added up that really – you know, they say that you you only get, what is it, four or six big opportunities that could take your life in a completely different turn. And it's all those opportunities, unless you're tapping into all those opportunities and people that are around you, you don't know what opportunities you could have had. Yeah, being brave so. enough to, to take those risks in life. Like you obviously, uh, you had that, that $15,000 taken away and you still pushed ahead and it, and had another crack again. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, right now we're painting in a booth that's 30 years old that I got out of Vegas. You know, I drove down there and we took it down and had it put back up here. And, you know, I don't have the ideal shop yet, but I see the vision and that's kind of the goal is just always have a goal, always have a plan and just keep picking away at it every day, whether it be your build or whether it be your shop, continually pick away at it because if you continually tell yourself, I'm going to do it tomorrow, I'm going to do it tomorrow. It just gets further and further down the line that you regret not doing it. And it, at least if you pick away at it, one thing a day, one thing a week, you eventually pick up enough traction that really starts to take off. Yeah, that, that's good advice. Um, I want to, with my guests that I get on, I guess one thing I was I was going to get you to do is, is obviously we, we're not on a video or anything, but take us through a verbal walk through your shop. You said you've, you've got a, an old booth out of California, uh, out of Las Vegas now, right? Yeah. So, uh, what sort uh, of equipment. Yeah. So we, we have a 50 by 40, uh, wooden structure metal building on the exterior. And as you walk in, you, you're kind of open to, we can fit, Let's see, one, two, three, 
about seven cars in the shop and it's tight. And most people yeah. probably wouldn't find that ideal, but when you continually have to have guys alternating from different vehicles, it is kind of nice to have the workflow that we have, but the problem is we don't have a metal station yet that I'm trying to get actually built this year, maybe next year and to where we can have everything set up and ready to go. But ultimately we have a, a 56 Chevy gasser that we're working on, um, a 64 Malibu. We have a 47 Cadillac, a 71 Pantera, a 55 Chevy Pro Street, uh, 69 Bronco, a 2000 Ford Ranger, I believe it is, that's a thousand horsepower with, I don't even know how many inches of wheel travel, 25 inches of wheel travel or more. Um, a lot of really cool builds. We just picked up a, a Cobra kit car that's been widened and everything. So a lot of really cool projects. We, uh, we just got another project coming that's a 61 Impala bubble top. We're going to actually do not just body and paint. We're actually going to do the full build. So we're going to do a, a full chassis, full LS, everything. As far as I, was watching your, uh, I was watching your Instagram story this morning. I saw you you did a little walk around. I got to see a few of those cars. Man, that Cadillac is beautiful. Yeah, thanks. That's that's actually one of my favorites right now is that Cadillac. Yeah. <clears throat> so what what would you call your dream car? Um, gosh, I don't know. I, I I've always tended to go towards a lot of off road stuff, which is weird because nobody wants to put a nice paint job on an off-road vehicle most of the time. And for some odd reason, I, I don't know why I think it's partly because of the builder that we do a lot of the cars for Rob. Uh, he does a, primarily a lot of off-road stuff and the caliber of people that he gets want a nice car painted. So, I mean, I kind of have a little bit of a reputation for doing a lot of off-road stuff, but with a very nice paint job, which is contrary to most, but my dream car uh, I'm kind of building it really. I mean, I don't know if I'd say it's my dream car, but a very high caliber, uh, truck that we're building. It's a 2002, uh, Silverado extra cab that it's on 40 inch tires. It's, you know, 30 inches of wheel travel in the rear and 18 in the front with a, a Whipple supercharger and electric cutouts. And it, it's, it's ended up way more than I ever thought it was ever going to be. I remember when I started it, uh, I started at a buddy shop and I had a budget of like $40,000 at the time that I thought I could build this entire truck for. And now we're, we're well over three times that amount of money in this truck. But that truck has been the longest project that I've had or longest anything that I've been committed to other than my wife. I've been on that truck. This is the eight, this February is eight years that I've been trying to get this truck done. And my goal this year is to finish it. So it's close. Eh? So it's getting pretty close. Yeah. yeah but I mean, big, as far as a dream car, that budget, that's, that's the saying eh? is you, you pick a budget and then you got to triple it. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you think your budget should be triple it. That's where usually where you end up. <laughs> you, you tell your customers that one as well. <laughs> I actually, I tell my customers, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm pretty blunt when it comes to my customers now. And I think that's from being backed into a corner for the last couple of years on projects that I held my word to. You know, you tell somebody uh, a quote and 
when it changes and you want to hold that caliber high, I feel like it's part of the, maybe I didn't pay for college, but that is my fee is going through the hard things of being a business owner and making sure you hold to your word on what you said and not deviating. So as far as having a, a favorite car, I don't know that I have a favorite car. I'm not one of those guys that would want a Lamborghini or anything like that. I'm more, I like old Chevys and we're, we're going to build actually one of those dream cars, which actually is my wife's dream car, which is a 61 Cadillac that sits out front. It's not even indoors. It's outside my building, but we're actually going to make that a pretty wild build. We're, the goal there is anywhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred horsepower on twin turbos. <laughs> um, we're going to put a full custom roaster shop chassis in it, and I'm going to do a full candy paint job with electroluminescent paint. So it's wow. going to be pretty wild. That was one of your recent uh, videos on YouTube, is it? That paint? So um, I don't know how long you followed our work, but we're that's kind of one of the weird ironic not ironic but weird things that we do is we do electroluminescent paint so it's called lumalore and if you look it up on youtube lumalore is is drawing popularity pretty fast it's only been out for i want to say somewhere between six and ten years it hasn't been out very long but it's a very very finicky paint that is actually wired and it's electrified so the best way I can describe it to you is it's like painting a circuit board on your car and then hooking up wires to your, your substrate and then putting an inverter to it. And it actually gives off light. I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I saw a video is, is BMW putting in this on some of the new cars. Um, I think I know what you're talking about and it changes color and that's actually yes. a different process. Different process. Okay. Yeah. It's actually not even paint. If I, just watched that video the other day and I thought, no way, but no, this is, this is different. Um, if you go back, we did a, a big art project. So we don't just do cars. Apparently we've done everything from guitars from, for, for Fender, uh, Fender guitar. We did a guitar for them. We did, uh, I don't know if you saw the cuttlefish we did. Was this on your Insta? Yeah. It's, uh, it's like a, you know what a cuttlefish is? It's, a it looks like an octopus, but it's in that family of sea creatures. And at night, this thing gives off light and it actually strobes in the ocean and stuns its prey as part of what it does. And I had a, a customer which ended up being, and I didn't know it when we got the job, but it ended up being the owner of Johnson and Johnson. And uh, we did this seven foot replica of a cuttlefish with all the tentacles and everything. We've got a video on YouTube of it and we've got some video footage of it on uh, Instagram, but it was one of the bigger projects we've done with Lumilor and we did uh, 15 different circuits of light. So if you think about a light bulb and then how you control that light bulb by programming circuits and circuit boards, my cousin's an electrical engineer and he came down and we, we, he wrote software, put circuit boards together. We built a full panel inside this fish that you could control it with a remote and actually control the paint to strobe and do all these different things. That's not so it was, it was cool. And the other thing is cool is once you clear coat that you can then wet sand the clear and now you have a locked in circuit board that's completely smooth. So you can do murals 
uh, candy paint artwork over the top of it. And then depending on whether it's transparent or opaque or whatever it is, you can give it this crazy depth effect. And uh, we've done a lot of projects. Actually, the Ford Ranger that's here right now, the 1,000 horsepower one, we're going to be posting pretty soon some bedsides that we actually did two years ago for a coffee shop called Clutching Coffee. And it's got this big two-foot-by-two-foot two logo that we're going to light up on the side of this truck. So people trip because you look at it and you're constantly looking for like some kind of light source behind the panel that's maybe cut out, but it's actually the paint that gives off the light. That's insane. Okay. <laughs> that's, uh, uh, yeah. you're definitely pushing the boundaries. That's, that's a new one. Yeah. It's always trying to push the boundaries. The, the more, uh, we get into these different wild things, the more it becomes fun and a challenge. And I'm always up for some weird challenge. And I think that's kind of where that came from, but that paint took thousands and thousands of dollars worth of material to just figure it out because I felt like every single time we did it, we found out something completely new that happens or had an effect to it, you know, whether it been good or bad, which most of them were bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now that we've got it down pretty good, we're, we're actually, I think you probably saw it. We did a, a quad, a Banshee and we're doing a full, memorial over this entire bike once i can find the time to do the artwork um I've, I've taught myself back when i was working for the railroad you know we talk about what do you do in your day you know a lot of people sit on their phone and for me if i'm traveling at the time when i was doing uh work in la which from where i live la is like two hours two and a half hours away and so that's going one direction so i would drive five hours a day in traffic on top of running the shop and working another full-time job for them. So I had downtime. Well, I used to ride the train and I bought like a, a black marketed version of Adobe illustrator and learned illustrator on a train every day, you know, constantly going and, and watching a tutorial from Scott McKay that he made and just do something, turn the video off, try it, watch something else, do the video, turn it off, try it. And I bought a plotter, so we, we can cut out whatever logos, design work, and do it right here at the house. So it's kind of cool pushing the limits with that. Yeah, that's real cool. So you still airbrush? Yeah, actually, um, it's probably one of the most favorite things that I would say I like to do is airbrush. And I, I never seem to have enough time to get to do it much. But when I do get to do it, I tend to go all out with it. So... I'm one of those weird guys that'll sit there and stay up all night and just sit there and keep airbrushing until I'm just flat dead tired. So I am looking forward to doing this quad because this memorial is going to have, um, if you've seen the movie avatar, they got these crazy lighted flowers in the movie and we're yeah. going to do all of the things for his daughter that he, that they lost and for a memorial for her. And we're going to, and his wife doesn't know anything about it. So it's going to be really cool to, to surprise her with this quad that does all this crazy lighting and three dimensional effects. And it's definitely going to be something wild for sure. It'll be one of a kind. Especially that that's um, beautiful that it's, it's a tribute piece as well. Yep. I really, I think I, what I enjoy most in the shop projects is the ones that are sentimental projects. Yeah. I think the car that we did recently that was uh, probably one of my favorite was the Carmen Dia. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah, I saw that. That was that's pretty radical. That's cool. 
So when the, when the customers had it all their life and then they come and see the car completely transform and in tears, that was like, you feel like you're on your own show of overhauling at that point. <laughs> yeah. It makes all the, uh, the hours and, and sweat that makes it all worth it. Yep. Absolutely. So if it was, uh, let's say the Carmen gear or your dream car, do you want to take us through, say your process from, from metal through to top coat? Like sure. brush over it. <laughs> sure. So uh, everything we do in the restoration world is we always seal up all of our bare metal with epoxy. Um, something that we do, I wouldn't say it's a little different. Um, there's a lot of guys that do it this way, but we use uh, an epoxy primer called BP 2050. Everything we use is typically PPG. Uh, we do use some house of color here and there for different candy projects and whatever. But uh, the big reason why I like BP 2050, and actually, ironically, I made the video today talking about this, this particular primer and that I'm going to post. So um, you'll have to check out the page on that. But it's cool because we go through and we prep the metal. So basically all of your um, metal needs to be completely clean. And if we acid wash, uh, some panels, some of the panels, we DA them with 80 grit, but we make sure every little nook and cranny is completely clean. No rust, no anything. And by acid washing, you're converting any rust with a phosphoric uh, acid and then also cleaning it, getting rid of all the oils on everything. And, you know, everybody has different amounts of oils in their hands. Me personally, my hands are so dry I've never, I can touch bare metal and not leave anything rusting at all. Where some people have a completely different pH balance, but we, we acid wash everything. We clean it. We epoxy it. We give the epoxy of dry time. We scuff all the epoxy with uh, 80 to 120 grit. And we do all of our filler work and panel to panel. We lock everything down. We block sand everything with an acrylic block. And then, uh, I don't want to say everything, right? Because some of these curvatures these days, you might want to use a Durablock, but it's yeah. how you use that Durablock is what counts and making sure at the final, you go back over it with an acrylic block just to make sure it's dead flat. But the I cool do thing, want to stop. There was one part that I really wanted to pick your brain on because I think it's super cool is when you've applied your filler, um, I've seen a lot of your pictures online. You've gapped up your vehicle, obviously. Now I see you in certain spots around the gaps you you lock that in with filler how talk me through that process because i, I want to give that a go so um when you're block sanding so let's just say you have the latch in the car and you're weather stripping you want to always try and replicate what the car is going to have in the final so putting that in there we always do all the metal work and try to test fit everything to the that we can and then once you've completely spent the time cutting and welding all the edges what happens when you weld metal is it actually shrinks so it, it will grow and it will rise and then when it shrinks it shrinks just below where it started and what happens is if you start gapping in your welding edge of the door what you'll end up with is what i call turtle shelling and it's where the whole door starts warping on the ends and it starts curling inward well it's shrunk you, anything you weld, you have to hammer and dolly it and stretch it back to where you started. So we will actually hammer and dolly 
the edge of the door frame till it's completely smooth from the quarter panel to the door. You can put a straight edge and make sure that that is completely straight. So what we'll do is we'll use a big long magnet and we will put the door, put the magnet on the door to the quarter and then we'll take body filler with everything all scuffed and prepped and we'll put body filler in a, about three or four different areas all around the door to make sure that that door does not move from that magnet. Once that's completely dried and block sanded smooth, you can then pull the magnet. But the cool thing is everything down to the details and mill thicknesses, panel to panel, you'll see a lot of guys that will body work their door and they'll body work the quarter and they might body work them off the car. But in order to get that mirror finish, the only way you're gonna get that is to block everything as one shape. So your fender, door, your quarter, everything needs to be blocked uniformly. 100%. And, um, so yeah, how are you, we do the same process and, and we wipe, we fill across the whole side as if it was one piece, but how are you stopping filler from going, how are you only putting filler in those certain spots without it going bridging into the door gap? Um, I would just say it's technique and practice. Um, the big reason, I don't know if you've seen the YouTube video, we talked about body filler. Yeah. Yep. So we, the one thing we teach here that I like to hang my hat on at the end of the day is there's so many people out there that sand body filler after it's completely dry and it's like sanding concrete. Nobody wants to, and, and in the number one thing you hear from people is, Oh God, body work. What a lot of work. I, I don't want to do ever do that. Well, if you're truly working that hard at doing body filler, you're doing it wrong. And we always have a very uh, strict process that we go through. So we even use a scale and we measure our body filler uh, 50 to one parts with hardener. That way you have a uniform hardness all the way down the car. But as you start spreading it and you, by the time you go back to clean your spreader and your, your board, you can come back and when it's just tacky, we will use razor blades and we'll cut that back out of the door. And that, that filler might end up in the door jam, but we always just try to keep those couple little areas. Cause yeah. you know, we how many times have you had everything completely flat and now you got to cut the door open and sometimes you screw up your body work, you know? Yeah. No, that's a, that's so, a good technique. The other one, just the, other, the other technique, I want to try and haven't tried yet, but is we call it foam tape. I don't know what you call it in America. Do you call it foam tape? Yeah, you're talking about the round foam tape for like uh, what for you like pinch a, the door onto. Edge. Yeah, it's like a cheater uh -huh. tape, like cheating soft edge. Anyway, that that tape I've seen guys apply that on their say their door to quarter edge, and they'll they'll leave it in that fill over that, and then they can pull that foam tape out. Yeah, we've tried it. And to be honest, the best thing that we found so far is just making sure you cut it back out of the jam. Cause you always, if you follow true blocks and linear blocking tools, those two guys on Instagram have, they nail it. They, they talk about the process and, and what you should do from point A to point B. You always want to make all of your edges nice and crisp and sharp. And then at the very end, when you blow the car apart, we make Dude. that radius look yep. the same uniformly. So the one thing we also don't do is we don't 
like a lot of guys will paint a door jam, for example, and then they put the car back together and they mask off the jam. We don't do any of that either. So to go back into what the process is, we actually will do all the body filler over the epoxy. And what's cool is we basically make a sandwich with that same epoxy. So I use one primer and that's actually what the is on is, is why we use one problem primer because we've had guys that go, well, how come you don't use, you know, they think that when I'm priming a car, so I had this guy criticize me about what we do and he's telling me, Oh, you left too many sand scratches and this and that. Well, all of that stuff, he's not wrong, but at the same time, you have to understand what the project is, how long that project's going to sit after prime and how much that's going to affect it. Well, by us using the same primer, you're, you're talking about a collision shop might, let's say on a good day, they might use epoxy, right? Usually they don't. They might use a, a four to one DTM that's not, nowhere near as nice as an epoxy, but let's just say they did use an epoxy. So you go and you seal the car with epoxy, you do your filler, and then you come back with a polyester usually, and then a urethane high build and a urethane sealer. You're talking about five products that you're using on a car and you have that many different areas of failure that you could have versus two. And that's kind of the reason that I like to use VP 2050 or the alternative would be like, um, I know Paddock's Paintworks. If you don't follow him, he's a really good guy to follow. He uses uh, Clausen's All You Need Polyester Primer. And that's actually a DTM. So it's good for metal. It's good for wet sanding, which is super rare. Most polyesters you can't wet sand. Yep. But whatever your process is going to be, try to minimize how many different materials you're using so you have a quality product and if you do have a problem you know where it went wrong yeah and and back to the say that you were talking filling over scales we do the same thing then you can monitor your shrinkage rates as well yep yep we we did a job for hoonigan um which was a it's their merch truck that they have on youtube it's a while back we did it and i did Mind you, this was for TV, and they just wanted it straight, and they didn't really care about the metal work. We, we fixed cancer, and me, myself, did 14 gallons of body filler in four days and painted the car. It's so crazy. When you can narrow down, I mean, when you're left with yourself standing there at the end of the day and you have to pull off this project you got to figure out ways to do it faster and faster that was the project where i feel like with the scale and knowing your dry time and how much you could spread and then still have enough time to go back and clean remix reapply and then be doing this crazy whirlwind where you're sanding and filling and and doing that much body filler in that amount of time is not recommended by any means but we did pull it off and it was straight ish. It was as straight as we could get it for a big old P10. So yeah, um, for anybody, I would recommend heading over and watching that video you spoke about on your, um, that was, that was one thing I found when I, when I did find you, I found you on YouTube and I was like, man, this guy, we do a lot of things the same way. Like we're on complete, uh, other sides of the world and, and we do a lot of things the same way. It was like, this is cool. This is really cool. Yeah, it is cool. That's very cool. Yeah. It, it always, you know, and the one guy that really changed the paint game for me was Charlie Hutton. 
which Charlie Hutton used to be the painter for Boyd Coddington and Chip Foose. And now yeah. he owns his own shop. And he actually is one of the main guys who teach for PPG. So he actually teaches a restoration class for PPG and travels around the world teaching that. That's cool. Um, I, I do love the uh, – I am a, a secret PPG fanboy. I've got. I've actually got a tattoo of Pete the Painter. He's ripping the head off the Glazerit parrot. Oh, cool! <laughs> but uh, I love the 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 work that PPG put into to training and, and innovation. I think is second to none. Like, there's obviously a lot of top tier products, and but I do think the PPG do separate themselves with the the training and support. Yeah, they do a lot of R and D. So, um, but yeah, I mean, to to go back to what the process was, right? We. We, we go back over the bodywork with the same 2050. And that 2050, if your bodywork is, let's call it 90% perfect, by the time you block down that 2050, you can actually block it in 120, 150, 220 grit, and still have enough primer on the car to wet sand it with 600 grit. So you're just and priming you're doing, what? You're you'll you'll do your filler work and it, it generally it's good enough now that you're going to block right down to a top coat where that's always the goal and so when i took charlie hutton's restoration class he's i asked him that question i said how many times does somebody like yourself who i looked at as you know an idol at the time still do and i said how many times do you primer a car before paint and he said we seal it up in bare metal and we do our body work and i prime it one time and at the, when I first heard that, I thought, he's full of shit, you know, because <laughs> out of all the years that I've been doing it, we would block it and then prime it and block it. And every time it get a little better. Well, as you sit there and you, I like to call it mind fuck every little process, you get better and better and better where like today I blocked the whole side of the 55 Pro Street project and it's almost perfect first shot. And that was, you know, that's, that's what we're always striving for is to get it as close to perfect. So where you only got to do a couple little tweaks and then maybe a couple spot primes and then you can feather that stuff out. But ultimately, as long as everything is sealed up in 600 and you don't have anything showing through with filler or bare metal, it's ready to go. You don't even have to use a sealer. Your sealer is the substrate of the 2050 that's sanded smooth. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the same page there. I'm not a massive fan of using, we call them wet on wet too, but um, I think exactly. we're talking about the same thing. Sealer, wet on wet, we we block right down to 600 dry and, and top coat over that. Yep. Yep. Um, one thing I noticed that you mentioned that you guys do is uh, flow coating. Yeah. Which nowadays I don't even flow coat, or at least I try not to. If, if budget. out of graphics, well, it's not the budget. Is The budget's actually not the reason. The reason that we don't do it, and actually, actually what I'm talking about in this video that we're referring to is, we, let's just say you're color sanding and polishing, and for those of you who do, do, are listening who don't know what a flow coat is, it's where you've already painted the whole car, and you wet sand it back down, and then you re-clear the car again. So now you have two rounds of clear however many coats that like i don't know how many coats you guys do we usually do three or four uh typically but 
if I know that this car is going to be the best of the best, you know, we want it to go to every show and want it to be the flattest paint. I'll actually put six coats of clear with a very high end two to one uh, PPG VC 5700 clear, which That's is the really, really thick. Vibrance rage? What's it? Yep. So that clear is not nah. $600 plus dollars a gallon, but if you build six coats out and make sure you got your right flash times, you now have no area of burn through. So let's just say you did three coats and you wet sanded and you flow coated. If you are wet sanding and you go through those top three coats and you hit the bottom, you're going to have that halo. And that's the whole reason why we don't, or at least I try not to flow coat if I don't have to. Yep. So you, you would rather apply more clear in one go and then cut it flat. Exactly. So that's let's cool. just say it's a guy who wants a clean driver. I'll do four coats and I might start to knock the clear down. And if I have a guy who wants a complete show car, we'll do six coats of clear and I'll start wet sanding and polishing with 600 grit. What's your flash off time when you're doing six coats? I know I couldn't put six coats on without it running off the panel. So what you're going to be doing is it obviously is dependent on your weather, your humidity. Um, and one of the big things that we do is we track everything. So if I'm doing a car, let's say it's summer and I, I always use a very slow reducer and a slow hardener because I want, I would rather take the time. I try to break the cars down where I'm not doing too much at one time. So let's just say you're doing a body to a 55 Chevy. I don't, I typically try not to be doing the underside and the top side and on a rotisserie, I will break it down to from edge of seam to edge of seam. Maybe we just do the floor that day. And then the following day, maybe we flip the masking paper and we do the outside only, but we break it down. So you're not one, you're not moving the car and getting dust or particles out of the body. And two, your flash time is going to depend on the heat and all that. So if you're painting a car and it's a hundred and, 20 degrees in the paint booth, your flash time is going to be drastically sped up. But every single coat that you put on, I add more and more time to those flash times. Right. And I don't know what you you use as far as a spray gun. I, I like to spray with a 1.4. Some like 1.3, but and, and also that matters too, right? Because let's say you're shooting with a 1.2 or a one you can go ahead and put more coats versus my four coats might equal what your six is with me using a 1.4. So yep. it, it just, there's so many variations, but what I do is depending on the weather, if it's super cold, I try not to paint when it's anything obviously below 55 degrees. But I think the biggest thing is if you're putting that many coats of clear on, doing the tack test because that's really the only way you're going to know is the tack test and i suppose when you're 500 a thousand hours in on a build spending the day in the booth's not a big deal nope that's like that's actually it, it almost kind of bums you out right because we that's the funnest part and it's the quickest <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you want to you want to enjoy that longer go ahead and shoot that thing six times and you might enjoy it a little bit more <laughs> 
What uh, when you say you shoot a one four, what brand of gun are you recommending? Um, me personally, I like the Iwata Supernova. Okay. But I actually did a, a motorhome one time, and the paint rep, I said, "Hey, I'm looking for buying a new nice gun," and he gave me every gun from a Devilbus DV1 to a Sada Jet to a Iwata. So it was kind of cool on a 40-foot surface to just sit there and keep switching guns out and playing with it. But it, I feel like it's what you came up with. You know, you got the guys who like Ford and the guys who like Chevy. I feel like it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. You should be, as a skilled tradesman, you should be able to be blindfolded and pick up one of those guns and, and be able to do the job. It, it is 100% true. You should be able to adjust your gun to do whatever it is that you need to do. At the end of the day, and I've got a a, a sick obsession with um, purchasing spray guns. Yeah, um, I think we all do. do. And they all do different things. Everyone's like, "Why do you have so many guns?" Or my wife, definitely. Why do you have so many guns? Well, that's so much money. But they all they all do different. They all have a different job. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's uh. That's pretty much our process as far as that goes. We we do like base coat, clear coat. I'm not – some guys are old school and die hard on single stage. I'm not that guy. I like two stage um, just just because we usually end up doing artwork or graphics, and I'm not – I guess you could say I like flashy paint. I don't like boring. <laughs> yeah. So – but yeah, that's kind of our process. And then color sanding and polishing, we'll we'll start either with six hundred or a thousand, and we'll usually end anywhere between three thousand and eight thousand, and then polish it all the way through. Same thing again. We uh, we're on different sides of the world, but we do things very similar. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and that's what we're sharing information. Yeah, definitely. So we're about an hour 20 in now. I might start to wrap it up. Why don't you tell everyone uh, where, where they can find you, um, social media, YouTube, etc. cetera? Yeah. Um, so it's Sylvester's Customs, and it's spelled S-Y-L-V-E-S-T-E-R-S, Customs, C-U-S-T-O-M-S. And, uh, yeah, you can find me there on Instagram with the same screen name as YouTube. Um, we I do have a Facebook page, but I feel like we don't, it kind of just links up with the Instagram. The majority of the things that we do is Instagram and YouTube. We're trying to do a lot higher quality videos on YouTube than we are on Instagram. But as far as customers watching their projects daily, how to's, if I'm knee deep in something and I'm really talking about how to do something, Instagram is really good for that. But yeah, that's, uh, that's where you can find us. That's cool. It's been super cool having you on. I, I feel like uh, I feel like we could do it for another round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, maybe you uh, have a different version of what you want to talk about, and I'm all ears, man. I'm I'm happy to do it. Honored to uh, be asked to do it. All right. It's been super cool. Sounds great, man. Nice meeting you, and we'll see you guys around. Catch up. Bye. Take care. So there we have it, interview number one in the books, and what an absolute legend to have had on the show. Um, I want to take the time to thank Travis for coming on, I know I had a blast, I hope you guys enjoyed the content. If you're enjoying it, feel free to share it around, um, until next time, catch up.